welcome back to the Museum of Femininity. My name is Charlotte Appleyard and today I will be giving you a mini podcast episode which is very festive and relevant to the season as it will be focusing on the subject of Queen Victoria and specifically the sorts of Christmases she had at Windsor Castle. We'll touch a bit on the Christmas traditions that were popularised in the 19th century. For me, many of the most wholesome and warm aspects of Christmas are derived from imagery which originated in, was popularised during the Victorian era. So for example, uh, the, the sort of festive Christmas cards we receive were actually invented um, in the 1800s by someone called Henry Cole, who was the founder of the post office and creator of the Victoria and Albert Museum. Um, And then you have novels coming out by the likes of Charles Dickens, such as A Christmas Carol, which of course helped to solidify the concept of a white Christmas, gift-giving, generosity, um, all of the imagery we often think of when we think of Christmas um, in our collective conscience. Uh, However, I do feel that one of the most influential figures who helped form our ideas of Christmas traditions was Queen Victoria herself, and more specifically, the royal family introducing um, Germanic heritage and Germanic traditions to Britain, um, in particular through Victoria, because this is when the monarchy became a bit more accessible for the public. So Queen Victoria, um, I'm sure everyone is pretty much aware of who she is. She's incredibly iconic as a ruler, but just for the sake of context, I will be briefly introducing her. So she was born in 1819 and she died in 1901. She was the daughter of Prince Edward, Duke of Kent, um, who was the fourth son of King George III. And she was also the daughter of Princess Victoria of Saxe-Coburg-Selfeld, who, of course, was a German princess. After both the Duke and his father died in 1820, Victoria was raised um, under close supervision by her mother and her mother's comptroller, John Conroy. So she lived a very isolated uh, existence, incredibly strict. Um, All eyes were on her. And even though I'm not... I, I think it's fairly accurate, but I would recommend the film Young Victoria if you want closer study of what Queen Victoria's life was like um, growing up up until the age of 18 when she became the Queen. So she went on to inherit the throne at this young age after her father's three elder brothers died without surviving legitimate heirs. So she ne- there would never have been any expectation that she would become the Queen of England so this must have been quite a momentous occasion. She ended up being the longest reigning monarch at the time, so incredible achievement for a young woman. And of course there are certainly echoes with Elizabeth I. And during this time, of course, Britain became an empire and it saw enormous economic and industrial growth. And it was particularly marked by Victoria's relationship with Prince Albert, who you know, together they really were a power couple and he was instrumental in introducing many things, um, particularly all aspects of culture 
that were common to him to Britain. So they were both German originally and and they promoted family values, um, often presenting themselves as a loving nuclear family. So that was them and their enormous uh, brood of nine children. So they really wanted to present this image of family unity and this was often projected in photographs and paintings that became quite widely accessible and portrayed them as being this attainable ideal for aspirational middle-class people. Um, of course, the reality of it isn't always as simple as that. And Queen Victoria, she didn't particularly love being a mother. She was quite cold towards her children, in particular, um, you know, Albert, her eldest son and the heir to the throne, because she just, she really expected them to be like their father. Uh, and when he turned out to be slightly more wayward and disobedient and not as intellectual, that was disappointing to her. And I think she had a lot of expectations on her children when they grew up. And in the infancy, she didn't particularly enjoy the process of being pregnant and, you know, being a mother to young children. Um, but, you know, you have to face up to the fact that she had this really passionate relationship with Albert. Um, theirs was a rare love match and clearly from the number of children they had they had, a, they had a very affectionate sexual relationship and she completely adored him and of course uh, it's no wonder that when he died in 1861 she mourned him intensely and continued to wear mourning dress until she died um, about 40 years after their relationship was obviously incredibly strong and a huge part of that and their family life was their Christmas celebrations, which also highlights their need to keep their Germanic roots alive. So following the marriage of Albert and Victoria, um, Albert took on the task of adorning the Christmas tree at Windsor Castle with wax candles and sweets like barley sugar and sugar plums. So they weren't real sugar plums, they were actually caraway or aniseed comfits covered with boiled sugar and crafted into the shape of a plum. And they would have a little wire that poked out the top to make it easier to hang on the Christmas tree. So the fact Albert undertook this role showed that he was really committed and loved Christmas. His love of Christmas was certainly shared by Victoria who wrote in her diary uh, often about it in very affectionate terms. So Albert's often credited for introducing the German tradition of the Christmas tree to England, but actually it was the, the sort of royal generation before who really introduced this. So think Queen Charlotte, who was the wife of George III. So she's the first person who established a Christmas tree in the royal household in 1800. Um, and it became really popular among upper classes, but it hadn't sort of seeped into the masses, becoming this must-have Christmas symbol for every single household in the country. And despite Charlotte's contribution, Albert and Victoria were the first to make it truly visible for everybody. Uh, and this happened in a lot of ways, but in particular, they were quite influential on the public as they were much more visible and far less secretive, I guess, about their day-to-day -day life and their family life. 
I mentioned a moment ago that Victoria was an exceptional diarist and she often recorded her day-to-day -day activities and thoughts, including her thoughts on Christmas. So I have a few extracts from her diary. Christmas, I always look upon as a most dear happy time, also for Albert, who enjoyed it naturally still more in, ha in his happy home, which mine certainly as a child was not. It is a pleasure to have this blessed festival associated with one's happiest days, the very smell of Christmas trees, of pleasant memories. To think we have already two children now, and one who already enjoys the sight, it seems like a dream. So this charming entry was from Victoria's journal, which she wrote on Christmas Eve in 1841. And that that sort of association with the Christmas tree, it sort of reigns quite prominently in the Victorian Christmas and the Christmas they had together at Windsor Castle. And uh, this also, the image itself of that helped popularise the Christmas tree generally in England. So although Christmas trees were well established in the upper classes, they became more visible when they started to appear in periodicals like the Illustrated London News, Castles Magazine and The Graphic. So these publications describe the Royal Christmas Tree every year from 1845 until the last in the 1850s, when the custom was adopted by people in their own homes. So one example of this is in 1948, an illustration appeared in the London Illustrated News featuring Victoria, Albert and their children gathered around a lit up and decorated Christmas tree. In the mid-19th century, the popularity of Christmas trees skyrocketed and by the 1860s, hundreds of Christmas trees were being sold in Covent Garden. Originally, they were decorated with oranges, stuck with cloves, cinnamon, sticks and pine cones. Sometimes the nuts would be removed from a walnut shell and replaced with a small gift or a sweet before being hung on the tree. The oldest Christmas tree in the UK is thought to be the Wellingtonia, which was planted in 1856 by Thomas de Grey at Brest Park. So every December it would be carried into the house and decorated for the festive season until it grew too large to fit into the house. So that gives you an idea of the, you know, the, the size the Christmas trees got to and the perhaps the need to sort of show off a bit and... I think that still exists in many households today, particularly with outside Christmas lights. So to talk a bit about the gifts, um, so presents in this time were often handmade with sweets being particularly popular. So sugar candies like barley sugar were particularly common as they could be twisted into different shapes, including canes. Um, Victoria, obviously gift giving was a large part of um, their Christmas in their family home. So she talks a bit about this in one of her diaries, which I'll read to you now. Albert arranged a surprise for the children. In Germany, the old saying that St Nicholas appears with a rod for naughty children and gingerbread for good ones is constantly represented. And Arthur, hearing of this, begged for one. Accordingly, Albert got up a St Nicholas, most formidably he looking in black, covered with snow a long white beard and red nose of a gigantic stature. He came in asking the children, who were somewhat awed and alarmed, are you a good child? And giving them gingerbread and apples. 
So that's really lovely. It sort of shows like a sense of fun and playfulness Albert had with the kids. Um, and that was an entry from the journal on Christmas Day in 1843. So what did they have for dinner? A royal Christmas feast was an incredible undertaking and included a feast of dishes, like a choice of soups, such as mock turtle made from calf's head, a very popular alternative to real turtle soup during the Victorian era, several fish dishes, a number of roasts, including a baron of beef and boar's head, a particular favourite of Prince Albert's, game pies, as well as plum pudding and mince pies. So it's clear Victoria's elaborate dinner could not be replicated by the common man. A festive bird was, of course, the centrepiece and remained so for uh, everyone. And this was often a goose. So goose clubs were formed early on in the year, which allowed lower income families to save a few pennies every week so they could afford a goose on the big day. Many people also did not have an oven, so to remedy this, you could arrange your goose to be cooked at your local baker's and ready to be picked up on Christmas morning. It was not till the end of the 19th century when the turkey began to overtake the goose as the Christmas bird of choice. So one object associated with Queen Victoria's Christmas I'd like to go into a bit more detail about is their Christmas sledge. Um, so in the 1840s and 50s, the winters were freezing cold and the lakes at Frogmore House would freeze over, allowing Albert and the children to skate. Albert was an excellent skater and encouraged Victoria to learn. However, she never quite got the hang of it. They also had a red sleigh, which was particularly sumptuous in its design, lined with red velvet and painted red and gold. It was pulled by two horses whose harnesses rang with silver bells, whilst the harnesses themselves were adorned with rich ostrich plumes. The grooms and outriders were also very smartly dressed and wore scarlet livery, so they would ride around on the sleigh and have a very lovely time, and Albert was often the rider himself. So the sleigh could go quite far distances, and that gives you an idea of you know, just how much warmer the winters are these days. The fact that they could ride on a sleigh um, and it would carry them quite far. So one year they actually reached a place called Slough, which is some distance from Windsor. And it certainly shows us just how snowy winters used to be. So just to talk a bit more about the sleigh, um, this is a relic of Windsor Christmases and was introduced to the public in a wood engraving published in the Illustrated London News in 1854, which showed the Queen and royal children driving at Windsor. This referred to the fact that the royal children had a sledge of their own, and this was harnessed by one pony, so there were lots of different sledges, but we're going to talk about the red one. And in the engraving, you can see a little pet dog running along beside, so there's always these little sort of wholesome family touches. So we know this was a genuine thing that really happened, because you can cross-reference it with the Queen's journals, where she noted um, the sleigh had been used and made a reference to it as our sleigh, denoting particular meaning. Nor does it appear to be one of the sledges used by Albert to push Victoria over the ice on the lake at Frogmore. So this was referred to as a sledge chair by the Queen in 1840. In her diary, she recalls Albert driving the sledge and describes a wintry drive between Frogmore, Old Windsor and Runnermead, conjuring up a really 
lovely charming image of a white Christmas. Albert clearly loved Christmas and with his typical ingenuity designed the sleigh himself. He also used to design gifts for Victoria which included a diamond studded brooch depicting the Princess Royal as an angel with wings during one 1840 Christmas. The sleigh appears often in Victoria's diaries. One such charming record recalled Albert driving the sleigh in 1855 when Queen Victoria and Princess Clementine of Orleans were passengers. One such passage said, at three o'clock we went out in it, the sleigh, together and I thought it quite charming. The horses with their handsome red harness and many bells had a charming effect. Albert drove from the seat. The sledge went delightfully. The bright blue sky and sunshine, together with the sound of the bells, had a very exhilarating effect. Victoria's descriptions were so detailed, she even noted the pair of horses. Um, one, two dear ponies that pulled their sledge, and their names were Keith and Kintor. So these Scottish names were likely to reflect the couple's growing love of the country. And I found her diary passages really intimate and you can quite vividly see what was going on and the adrenaline she must have been feeling and the, the sort of cold wind blowing against her face and this sort of exhilaration. It's very illustrative I think and you can learn a lot about their relationship from her journals. There is a moving postscript to this passage that shows us the sledge had become symbolic of family royal Christmases at Windsor. Queen Victoria recalled in the first rawness of her widowhood the last time that the sledge was used in the last Windsor Christmas of his lifetime in 1860. With poignancy, Queen Victoria listed the occasions when the prince consort had driven the sledge, remembering the wintry episode at Brighton, quote, in 45 at Brighton, in Jan and Feb 47, in 55, and then for the last time, December 27th, 1860, at Windsor, when Louis was still there. My angel always drove me from a seat behind, sitting astride with his feet in large boots. He wore a fur coat with fur gloves, and he enjoyed it so much. The Victorian period was instrumental in the spreading of Christmas cheer, like Christmas trees, festive birds, presents and sweet treats. Part of this was thanks to Queen Victoria and her family, who helped to make German Christmas traditions more pervasive amongst the masses, and particularly middle-class families who were influenced by the royal family, and the easily consumable illustrations in periodicals of the time. Although, of course, there were other factors that fed into this blossoming and long-lasting trend, Queen Victoria and Prince Albert became the embodiment of Christmas cheer and family unity. Hope you enjoyed this Christmassy mini-episode. I will be posting pictures of Victoria and her Christmas tree, the red sleigh, and all relevant illustrations on Instagram, which you can follow at the Museum of Femininity. I will also be including all sources in the show notes. I hope you have a lovely Christmas and I will see you in the new year where we will launch 2020 with a new series about the subject of motherhood. So I hope you listen out for that and thank you again for listening. Bye!